And can we bow our heads to pray? Lord, I was blind. Lord, I was deaf. Lord, I was dumb. Lord God, these things are true of each one of us, unless by your Spirit you bring uh, sight and hearing and speech. So work in us today and every day by your grace, we pray, that we may have something to see and something to hear and something to say because we have known Jesus. Amen. Up, Peter, kill and eat. Do you remember the great story of Peter's vision as the Roman centurion Cornelius is sending men to meet him? The great sheet of animals comes down from heaven, animals that were not to be eaten under kosher food laws. Three times that vision appears, and Peter is revolted as any good Jew would be. But the message from heaven is clear. You are not to call unclean what God has now called clean. So when the Gentile Cornelius summons Peter, Peter goes and witnesses the great miracle of the Spirit falling even upon the Gentiles. Now we can't be certain, but from hints and guesses along the way, it seems that Peter was himself a major source for some of the material that's in Mark that's not in anything else. And the stories in front of us today in Mark 7 are the voices that then go on to echo in that story in the book of Acts as Peter experiences it. So do please turn to Mark chapter 7. We begin towards the bottom of page 1010. Now, the context is the conflict between Jesus and the Jewish leaders. In verse 5 of chapter 7, the Pharisees and teachers of the law have said to Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders? It's an incident. Jesus is criticized for not following the law of Israel. But then in verse 18 of that chapter... Jesus criticizes his own followers for not understanding. Are you so dull, don't you see, he says to them? It's not what goes into you that matters, but what comes out of you, out of your heart. It's that that can make you unclean. And it's in that context, the law, Jewishness, clean, unclean, that the story now moves into Gentile territory. Verses 24 to 30 that we heard are going to be set in the far north, beyond Galilee, near Tyre on the coast. Then verses 31 to 36, we move to the Decapolis, south of Galilee, but to the east of the Jordan, so not Jewish territory. Then at the beginning of chapter 8, Uh, There's an unnamed place for this feeding of the 4,000, not the 5,000 now, but 4,000. But after it, Jesus' return to Jewish territory is is marked specifically, so we assume uh, that that until that moment, he's again been outside Israel. So three stories 
of Gentile territory. And we begin with this extraordinary story in verses 24 to 30. This woman of Tyre, complete outsider, has heard of Jesus and she falls at his feet, beseeching him on behalf of her daughter to get rid of this unclean spirit. Now, our translation says evil, which it makes sense of it. We kind of understand that. But the word originally is unclean, which keeps us in this context of clean and unclean. And Jesus teases her. He actually wanted to be alone. He tried to avoid anyone even knowing he was there. And he points now to the priority of the Jews. First, he says, let the children, children of Israel, eat all they want. It's not right to take their bread and throw it to the dogs. Dogs is what Jews normally call Gentiles. Now, quick as a flash, she responds. She doesn't dispute the place of the Gentiles, but she says, Lord, even the dogs are allowed the crumbs from the table. And Jesus commends her answer. The term she uses for him, Lord, is only used when addressing Jesus this way. Somehow, from somewhere, she's got it. And so he heals the daughter from a distance. And we read that story very differently from the first readers would have done. To us, let's be honest, Jesus sounds harsh and uncaring. But there's two things to notice. First, any Middle Eastern culture is full of wisecracks and puns and smart, clever answers. Think of the, the, the um, Thousand and One Tales, the Arabian Nights. It's, it's part of the currency in a Middle Eastern culture to have that kind of quick response and cleverness. So they would originally have heard this as Jesus setting a test which this woman then goes on to pass with flying colors. But more seriously, we may find ourselves offended by that very real sense of what Jesus actually means. He means that the Jews take priority. We need to be careful. Let me take you deep inside the preacher's mind. At this point, the preacher's mind is running something like this. Oh, the people I'm in front of aren't Jewish. They're all Gentile. This stuff about Jews and Gentiles isn't very interesting to them. Ah, but there are always themes around outsiders and insiders, so the application of this story must, in fact, be around the importance of not excluding other people, even if they seem very different. Well, that's a good thing to do. And there are many ways in which the Bible teaches precisely that. But this isn't one of them. Let's allow our minds, whether preachers or listeners, to be controlled by Scripture. And we will normally find that greater things are being told us. When we make this story simply about not excluding others, we make a little moral point about what we're supposed to do, and we're not at that point yet. Let this story play out as it's actually come down to us from Mark and the Holy Spirit. Jesus died on the cross according to the law of Israel. Jesus comes as the Son of God that Israel should have been all along and never was. Jesus is Jewish. And as Paul later put it when discussing how salvation meets us 
It's first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. There's huge issues here, and no time to deal with them. But we can say this. We are the Gentiles who have been grafted in, at least if we're not those one or two in this congregation who are from a Jewish background. We are here only because of the vast miracle that God's grace in Jesus has met even us outsiders and allowed us to enter a blessing that was first intended for the Jews through whom it was to go to the world. Because of the death of Jesus, the Son of God, and because of the sheet of St. Peter, we can say that, yes, we are no more than outsiders to the blessing of God. We are deaf and dumb outsiders. But those who have now been brought, not just crumbs, but the very finest of the harvest, and all by grace, because we don't deserve it. All peoples are now clean, according to Jesus, but in fulfillment of the Jewish law and where it was heading. He doesn't bypass it, but he will see it through until it has done its worst to him. He won't escape. He will go back from this Gentile territory to the Israel that claims him, because he knows that if he doesn't die first for Israel, he cannot die for the Gentiles. Then, in the second story, a man is brought to Jesus who's deaf and can barely speak. He heals him, and those around are all overwhelmed with amazement, we read. They even quote from Isaiah 35, from the great vision of the day when the Messiah delivers the peoples. Let me read it to you. Isaiah 35 and verse 5. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. It's a passage that promises blessing for the redeemed with the unclean excluded. And yet here in the Decapolis are the unclean recognizing the Redeemer. You see, the basis for unclean clean has not been abolished. It's been shifted from an accident of birth to the state of the heart that's been touched by God. And what is the result from this man who is healed? He speaks plainly. All peoples are clean and can now speak plainly. And in the third story, which we didn't have read just because of reasons of time, a crowd of 4,000 people get to eat with Jesus in contravention of every Jewish rule about eating with unclean Gentiles. All peoples are clean and can now eat with their God. All peoples are clean. And then after all of this, the Pharisees meet him back in Israel, just on the western side of uh, the Sea of Galilee, and they ask for a sign from heaven. It's not surprising after all he's just had, when he wanted some time off, that Jesus sighs deeply and says, if you don't get it yet, 
there is no sign that can be given to you. The Pharisees are opposed. The disciples are confused. But we see the Gentiles beginning to get it. Now, we may still find ourselves asking, clean, unclean, who cares about food laws? But I'd ask you to try to get back into the mind of the first readers. From their point of view, this is, after all, simply an expression of the great miracle of grace. The law of Israel makes it clear. The cause of being unclean is sin. So if all are becoming clean, it's because the Redeemer is walking around shattering the sin that keeps us unclean. In terms of Isaiah's vision, he is rescuing the people. And these are, they're true, they're, they're, they're uh, acted out incidents, but it is as though they're acted out parables of what it means to be rescued, to be saved. First, it means to hear correctly and believe. It is the simple utterance of the heart to Jesus himself. From that woman, Lord. And it comes from nowhere. Nothing prepares this outsider of a Phoenician woman from Syria. It is the purest miracle that has got her to her knees at that point. This, somehow, is the Lord of all. Firstly, it means to hear correctly and believe. Secondly, it means to speak plainly. It's a simple declaration to others of plain speech that bears witness. It's from nowhere. Nothing prepares this man of the Decapolis. He's even brought to Jesus by others. It's purest miracle that he's brought from his muddied hearing and speech and to speak plainly. The disciples still don't get it. Just the shape of this, by the way, they don't understand Jesus' desire to feed these Gentiles in this remote place. And it's all building to a climax later in chapter 8 where they will finally get it. But these stories are there for them to teach them what getting it looks like so that they will rightly go on to teach others. And so what can we say? To, to, what do we do with all this clean and unclean stuff as we as a church and with other churches face Passion for Life opening tomorrow with Henry Alonga? Well, it is possible that Henry will perform the odd miracle in the middle of his talk about cricket, but he's not known for it. At the moment, it's on the whole unlikely that he will tell stories of his cricket life or even of his discipleship, such that people will be all around the room smacking their heads and going, of course, now I see it. Not many, with respect, will listen to Mike Hume or look at the art transformation show or attend a sports quiz at NCBC, or even listen to Hugh Palmer at Prom Praise, and fall on their knees and say, duh, it's suddenly all clear now. Let's take our friends and our family to these things. Really, let's do it. 
And yes, I know that some of you have suddenly been brought to mind of how little you've got involved, so get on with it and do it. But let's be clear on the order that is laid out for us here. We are only here ourselves because we've been brought by sheer miracle. Why would you be here on a snowy day when you'd far rather be tucked up in bed, probably still, reading the Sunday papers? The fame of sportsmen and scientists and generals and even famous London rectors may draw a crowd, but it is not in their gift to bring life. We are here by miracle. We can sing, and we can enter into the longing of Isaiah, because we are those of whom it speaks, those the Lord has rescued. So work hard with your friends, confess Christ deeply face to face with God, speak plainly to those you care for, and bear witness. But what else are we supposed to do if it's all about miracle, if it's out of our hands? We give ourselves to this work because it's what it's, what it's set out for us to do as our life's work. But you and I cannot turn around a flea let alone turn around that fellow worker with the dodgy relationship and commitment issues, or the parent who is set in their ways, or the teen who has no purpose. So pray. Sigh deeply into the face of heaven as Jesus does here. It's all miracle. It's all grace that we are here. So if we want to be joined by others, we can do nothing better than to pray. At NCBC last uh, month, that's a local Baptist church, we were in prayer for the many events of this thing of which, I'm sorry if those of you who are visitors have not heard of this, but you've heard of it now, Passion for Life. And not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday, the 3rd of March, we shall be in prayer here, not for the events, but fundamentally for those we care for and work with. Because how can we do anything else but pray for them? It's Lent, and so perhaps a little fasting won't go amiss that day. Think of that woman as we close. Is there any one of us here today who doesn't have a family member whom we long for Jesus to reach out and touch? Think of that man brought by his friends. Is there any one of us here today who doesn't have a friend whose life would be transformed could they but be brought to speak plainly of a Savior who has rescued them. Out there, when we go back from here, we hit the phones and the emails and the conversations and we try to deal with the excuses and the evasions that come our way, and in our case it seems to be illnesses, as we look at invitations. And we must do all those things. But here, when we are together here, whether it's now or Wednesday the 3rd, 
let us recognize a spiritual battle and fall on our knees. Miracles we are, miracles we need, and miracles need prayer. Let's pray. Lord God, you know our hearts. You know the ears that have heard the talking about passion for life and the hearts that have said that's a very good thing for someone else to do. We bring before you our failure, but we also bring before you our longing. You ask us to give ourselves to the work of plain speech and worship. But you also remind us in these stories that nothing is achieved except by the miraculous. And so we beseech you, for those friends and family who know you not, Pour down your grace, as we've read of it here, and in the continuing ministry of Jesus, draw another generation to him. We ask it that he may be glorified, and that the church of God may continue in your purposes to serve the world you made. Amen.